The Wallop Roundup. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wallop Roundup for January 2024, our first show of 2024. Ryland Turner here, joined, as always, by Kyle Joseph, back on the Wallop Media channel. Kyle, how were your holidays? Uh, They were good. It was relaxing, enjoyable, had a very good time, and now we're back and talking about some wrestling. That we are. We've got a lot to talk about uh, this month, so let's not hesitate and get right into it, Kyle. All right, so we're going to get into the news portion of this to start. First piece of news is uh, the announcement that um, we've got a couple of AEW announcements for some roster movement. First of all, um, Katsuyori Shibata, a longtime Japanese wrestling veteran, is officially all elite. Rylan, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, like, it's good for them. He's certainly been around in the Ring of Honor uh, territory of uh, AEW and been doing some work there, as well as a bunch of appearances on Dynamite and and Collision. And it makes the most sense that if he's going to be stateside for him to be appearing for AEW, I mean, it is the other big wrestling company. And the one that really took a chance on him, considering that, I mean, he's got a scary history of injury. So... Like, as I said, it makes the most sense, uh, similar to how I felt about Kota Ibushi last month. Like, the signing just, it, it, I'm surprised it, didn't ha- it hadn't happened yet. Um, but, I mean, I think it's only good things for AEW with that one. Yeah, I think he fits nicely into the sort of Ring of Honor uh, mold. I know that there's at least a few people on the roster who are, you know, big into him. So, yeah, it's, I think it's relatively good news. Not really much to say about it beyond. But uh, we also have news of an individual leaving. We've had a few people leaving AEW recently. And the most recent uh, announcement is that Sean Spears is out of the company. It's uh, that was a little bittersweet in a sense that we all saw him as Ty Dillinger and wanted more for him in the WWE. And then when AEW became a thing, he was one of the first guys to move on over. And it's, I mean, while he didn't reach the highest of highs. He was certainly an entertaining character as the chairman. Uh, and I don't know if you remember uh, him being Wardlow's accountability buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's certainly great work there. And this is a guy who's proven that he can do comedy. He can do serious stuff. Uh, he's up mm-hmm. at an age now where... I'm not sure how much he's going to get in regards to main event time, but I mean, if he's leaving AEW at this point, there must be something else on the horizon for him. And I'm excited to see what. I mean, first of all, he's only 20 or 42, which I can't believe I'm saying, but if he sort of wanted to keep <laughs> wrestling, I think there was probably room for him to do it, or there is room for him to do it. I think there's other companies who could certainly use him. But we're talking about a guy who, when he initially came to AEW, he was one of their first sort of big gets and served as a pretty big heel character. Like he was fighting Cody in, in uh, on pay per view. Like there was there was an element of that. They they had him with Tully Blanchard originally, right? The character sort of changed and meandered a bit, and 
I, I always thought he was entertaining, and I'm I'm sorry to see him him go in in that sense. But I am like he has a wrestling school that he runs with with uh Tyler, the former Tyler Breeze, that seems to be doing really well. Flatbacks. He's his second child is doing this up or in this upcoming year in 2024 with um the former Peyton Royce. And so yeah, I think things are going pretty well for him. And so I think the he's the type of guy that there's probably room for in a producer role somewhere, if not as a wrestler. Certainly as a trainer, he seems to, you know, he's running a wrestling school that seems to be doing pretty well. So obviously he's got something in there that uh, is a value. I could see him ending up as like sort of a, a guest trainer with WWE at, at uh, the Performance Center. I think he's from, he lives in Florida now anyway. So he's not from Florida, obviously. He's Canadian, but I think that's where he lives now. But yeah. Uh, wish him the best, whatever he decides to do. He's got a lot of options, though, I think. So hopefully he, he finds something that works. Absolutely. Next bit of news, Hiroshi Tanahashi has been named the two president of New Japan. Uh, I think I said this to you off air, Kyle. This kind of seems like a, a move by them to ensure that he's got a spot uh, in the office uh, once his, his wrestling career is over, which, I mean, we're beyond the twilight of his career at this point. Um, he's the last few matches I've seen him wrestle. Time has definitely played a significant role in this guy's career. And it's, it's definitely a, a smart move. I think to make sure that he's well taken care of beyond his in-ring career. Um, I kind of look at this move like, cause we don't like, I don't know what the day-to-day job of the president of new Japan wrestling actually does. So no idea. So my thought process is maybe this is, kind of like the president of the like who's in charge of like the the in the nba uh the players wants when that when it comes to negotiating um deals between the nba and the players or players association i wonder if this is kind it's of like the head what's that i like the head of the union type of thing right i i assume there's probably some business component to it but I imagine there's a bunch of people in the you know New Japan's offices who are handling a lot of that type of stuff. It doesn't look like this job has anything to do with the book either. So I think Gato is still uh, very much booking these shows. But yeah, I, it's cool to see that he's going to have something uh, there for him to continue to do. He is still you know fundamentally part of New Japan, and so it makes sense for a person like him to be in that kind of role. So yeah. That uh, seems cool to me, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, we'll see because I don't really know what the pre- again. I'm with you. I don't know what the president does. There seems to be an on-screen component to it. He's going to explain the role apparently uh, during after Wrestle Kingdom, so we'll see what comes of that. Right. Speaking of Wrestle Kingdom 18, as of recording, will have come out. Uh, as of record, as we're recording this. It has not happened yet, but it will come out um, in advance of this podcast dropping. So you'll be able to get results of this. But we're going to do a quick sort of rundown of what is going on for the show. Go through the matches. There are 11 matches booked currently. It is back to one night again. Are you surprised by the one night thing? Because I certainly was. Uh, 
I wonder if the difference between business on a WrestleMania two-night event and a Wrestle Kingdom two-night event were just vastly different. Like, I feel like <clears throat> if you're going to go to Wrestle Kingdom, like, I, I don't know, right now, the star power that that company has isn't what it was during some of those two-night um, eras. They don't have as many big names coming over from America. And that that being said, like, Danielson and Moxley are wrestling on this. Osprey's wrestling on this. But again, is it enough to fill up two nights of of entertaining, you know, matches? And honestly, like, it's almost better for them, I think, to focus on some of the top acts right now in, in a one-night event just simply because... Like you need some of these acts to start making some some big time bucks. Like the Tanahashi's are are you know not going to be there forever, and we don't know what's going to happen with Okada either. So, and forgive me because I'm going to butcher at least a couple names over the course of this. So the first thing is that there is going to be a a battle royal new japan rambo for who is going to challenge for the the provisional king of pro wrestling 2024 championship at new year's dash they do battle royals to start this i don't think there's ever a surprise that this is going to be a part of this right tag match for the junior heavyweight tag team championship which is the bullet club war dogs which are clark connors and drilla maloney We'll be taking on catch two. I is this catch twenty two or catch two and a two? The stylization makes me not understand this. I, I think it's either way. <laughs> yeah, uh, the United Empire. It's uh, TJP and Francesco Kira. Uh, Connors and Maloney are the current champions. Seems like it'll be Clark Connors is all. It always surprises me at, at the fact that he is you know sub two hundred five because. Whenever I've seen him wrestle, he looks a lot bigger than that. Right. This should be a good match. Zack Sabre Jr. is defending his television championship against Hiroshi Tanahashi. My question for this is, is this Tanahashi's last wrestle kingdom? I mean, if it is, I would really like to see Zack Sabre Jr. just kind of outwork this guy completely. That's kind of been the story of the last year of Tanahashi's career is that he's wrestling guys like MJF and and a guy like MJF is carrying him through the match, which is not your what you would expect from a Hiroshi Tanahashi. So I'd say definitely, I, I'd say it's definitely a possibility that this is his last one. Cool. Um, Yota Suji is facing uh, Yuya Yumera in a singles match. I don't really know anything about either of these two guys. They're both relatively young. One's 29, one's 30. I'm with you. I, I'm not familiar. Seem to be cutting through the young lion system, so cool. We got a tag team match between uh, Shota Umino and uh, Kaito Kiyo- Kiyomiya, who is former GHC heavyweight champion. And they are facing House of Torture, which is Evil and Ren Natara. And then Ren Narita. I do not know these people very well. I know who Evil is, and I know who Shota Yumino is because I've seen him wrestle before. But very odd for this match with no stage stakes. House of Torture has been a terrible act since it debuted in New Japan. And it continues to this day. So I expect this to just kind of be there. I have a question for you. Okay. And this is a weird question that I can't believe I am asking. 
Is Bullet Club too big right now? I feel like at this point, we are definitely in the Wolfpack slash uh, Jobber era of the NWO when it comes to the Bullet Club. But for whatever reason, New Japan doesn't end their factions. They just add members throughout time. Because if you really think about it, like the Bullet Club started with Prince Devitt, and now it's over 10 years removed from this at this point. And all over the wrestling landscape, we have different factions of the Bullet Club. Um, There's so many. Uh, By the way, the subgroups of the Bullet Club, ABC, Bullet Club Gold, Bullet Club War Dogs, Far East Connection, General's Jewel, House of Torture, the guns who are sort of part of Bullet Club Gold, the Rogue Army, and the Natural Classics. I, it's too much. I don't disagree with you. The, the current Bullet Club collective, if I'm reading this correctly, just the Japan one is 10 people. And that doesn't include House of Torture. Which is itself seven. That's a lot of people. Also, Bullet Club Gold needs to do a better job stateside of like making Bullet Club not look like a joke. It's fair. It's fair. Anyway, we're moving on. There's there's a lot of Bullet Club. Uh, Shingo Takagi is defending his Never Open Weight Championship against Tamatonga. Gold is Tamatonga out wrestling a singles match. Yeah, it's the last couple of years now that he's been sort of a highlight in the never open weight division and, you know, bouncing mm-hmm. that title back and forth. But I mean, Shingo Takagi is one of the best wrestlers in the world right now. So I can only imagine this will be a fun match. We have a winner takes all tag team match for the IWGP Tag Team Championships and Strong Open Weight Tag Team Championships, where it is the IWGP champions are. Uh, Bishamon, which is Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi, and the Gorillas of Destiny, who are uh, Hikuleo and El Fantasmo, are def- bringing in the strong openweight championship. So, winner takes all tag match between two like solid tag teams. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Hikuleo is one of those guys who I feel like if he's not going to get picked up by one of the two big companies this year, uh, it's a matter of time. IWGP, I cannot keep messing that up. IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship match. I think this could be a show stealer. Hiromu Takahashi and El Desperado. Th- this belt is always brave. Yeah, like this, the, the type, no matter what or who the, ch- the t- uh, champion is or challengers are, this is always a really fun match on the Wrestle Kingdom card every year and always one that usually gets a lot of high praise. So I expect that. I will say. A singles match is surprising. This is usually like a fatal four-way belt. That's true. That's true. But, I mean, honestly, if you want to highlight two guys like these two in a, a a format where you can give them just as much time as a fatal four-way, four-way would get and then just have two guys coming out, out of it look re- looking really strong, I'm not going to argue with that either. IWGP Global Heavyweight Championship, which is the new, I guess, United States title they've They've now rebranded. This is sort of going to be their representation around the world. The three challengers, uh, an interesting set considering what they'd be doing after. Will Ospreay, John Moxley, David Finley. 
Can you give this to not Osprey, considering what you kind of want to do with this belt? I see. I I have a hard time with it because obviously Moxley and Osprey are two guys who they can do a lot more with this belt than a David Finley. But ever since bringing David Finley into the Bullet Club and kind of making him their de facto leader, they haven't really had much of a moment to kind of run with this guy and push push him. This might be that moment, and honestly, I think if you're not going to do it now, then you might not, and it just seems like a waste of uh, David Finley if if you don't. Yeah, but the, I think the, I thought the point of this championship to me is that it's going to be like the global olive branch of New Japan, especially New Japan is is kind of they had a foothold in America that they do not have at this point. I wonder if they still want one. Uh, you'd have to think they do. Yeah. I like that's the thing. I, I think they do too, but I feel like if you give him this belt to Dave Finley, is he gonna go anywhere else and defend it? Time will tell, Kyle. Time will tell. Kazuchika mm-hmm. Okada, Brian Danielson, singles match. What more needs to be said? No, yeah, this is gonna be a early match of the year candidate for sure. Um, Danielson's been wrestling with a eye patch and a, a bump, like a bum arm for weeks during the Continental Classic in AEW. So it'll be interesting to see how he works this match. I mean, nobody really knows the condition of his orbital bone, um, and how bad it really is. Perhaps this will be the match where the eye patch comes off. Either way, I mean, like you said, Kyle, what more needs to be said? They're two capable workers, two of the best in the world, and I'm sure they're going to try and steal the show. What I'm presuming is going to be the main event, Sonata defending the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship against Tetsuya Naito. Storyline, this is interesting. For sure. How headline is this match to you? I think what they wanted to when they started the Five Guys um, faction was to give Sonata a platform to kind of be a star. The problem is in New Japan is they keep guys around so long and put them in positions where they're not stars so long that by the time they're finally ready for a Sonata to be world champion, the crowd's kind of given up on him. He's got the same problem that like a Dolph Ziggler had or, or uh, you know, a Zack Ryder. It, it becomes unbelievable to get behind this guy. And his run has kind of shown that, that the crowd is not really with this guy. It's. I'm happy to see Naito in the position where he's, you know, going out there winning a G1 again and in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom again. But is the you know your question isn't invalid? Like how headliney is this? I don't know, but I'm sure they're going to pull a great match out. I mean, they have history with one another, and we'll find out. We'll see how how well this one ends up performing. All right, that is all that we have for news. At this point, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about before we get into our pay-per-view? No, I think that we covered pretty much everything. Cool. We're talking about World's End. AEW World's End pay-per-view that took place December 30th. Um, Nassau, Nassau Coliseum, Uniondale, New York. We'll t- actually, this is the thing we're, we're going to do, which is kind of rare. We both watched the pre-show. We did. We we actually, this is the first time we've watched an AEW pay-per-view together. Mm, we did. 
It was it was interesting. Let's talk about the pre-show first, because uh, I do want to give a little bit of time for this. This show is going to take me a little bit to figure out in terms of my feelings about it. So I think hopefully that comes to cl- becomes clearer when I talk through it. So opening match, Willow Nightingale defeated Chris Statlander. Singles match, solid match between the two. I thought they, they were both very, very good. I really didn't like the placement of it, though. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that it took a minute to get started. Obviously, people are still filing in as this match was opening. Uh, I think they got there. I think that the ending was a little... They they definitely um, messed some things up in the ending, but it's it was still, like you said, a solid match and where a rarity for an AEW production, or a pay-per-view production, to have three women's matches between uh, pre-show to main card. So I was happy to see them get featured. And like uh, Willow Nightingale and, and Chris Statlander are two women that I love. So seeing them go head to head was kind of a fun match. It was good. Double things. Chris Statlander is going into 2024. There, she was given a really big moment last year, beating Jake Cargill. She had good matches with Julia Hart. And then now she's just kind of shuffled away. And it's the biggest problem that AEW seems to have with their women's division is that if you don't have a title or are not currently chasing for a title, we don't know what to do with you. Right. We don't have time for that. We got titles. And so, yeah, I'm there. They seem to be leaning into a story where uh, she is going to have potentially some association uh, with the former Ma- uh, Malcolm Bivens. Um, we'll see what happens with that. Right. It's it's I'm an interesting s- storyline, and, and certainly, like, I think Bivens or, or uh, Stokely. Stokely Hathaway. Stokely yeah. Hathaway. Um, I'm sure he would be a welcome addition to whatever you're going to do with Chris Statlander, because we all know and, and, and appreciate how good that guy really is. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, like... You're right. She was given a big moment last year, and it all kind of seemed to fizzle out at the end. Uh, will it play into a storyline where she potentially has a bit of a heel turn? We'll find out. Yeah, we will. The match that should have opened, the 20-man battle royal for a future TNT championships uh, shot, stay tuned, was won by Killswitch. Can I be honest with you? This battle royal kind of sucked. It not did. that the mat, not that the like match of, of it was any was bad. Like there was uh, the kind of moments you would expect out of an AEW Battle Royal, but the problem is there was only one, maybe one and a half people with a chance of winning this. And whenever you're in that situation, the Battle Royal, it's just a waste of time. Uh, I 100 percent agree. This was the the like you couldn't get an Orange Cassidy in this thing. You couldn't have canceled one of those eight man tag matches and thrown a bunch of those guys in there. So at least we looked like there were some viable contenders outside of a kill switch or uh, a Lance Archer, uh, which I yeah. mean, like Lance Archer was the hope. But I mean, like it just made more sense to go with kill switch, especially with what was going on later. But. You're right. Like it was just a mishmash of guys who you don't really believe are going to get that opportunity. The last person who was eliminated was Trent Beretta. And don't get me wrong. Like I like Trent Beretta, but not a person in the building believed that Trent Beretta could win the Battle Royal. Right. And a Battle Royal, like 
that's okay for a singles match. I think you can still get through it and, and you know. But for a battle royal, you need a few people who are gonna who have the chance of winning it. Right. You need to be surprised. There needs to be something that it, you can go paint by numbers of the battle royal, but you can't go into it thinking, oh, nobody has a chance to win it. No. That's and that's the kind of my, been my problem with the Royal Rumble the last few years. Is it really felt like they tell you weeks in advance who's going to win, which defeats the whole purpose? That's fair. I mean, it's it's definitely fair. Hook defeated Wheeler. Oh, uh, yeah, Killswitch won the Battle Royal. If I didn't mention it, uh, Hook defeated Wheeler Yuta to defend his FDW Championship. This was a good match. Yeah, it was fine. Uh, you, you did miss uh, in between those matches. We saw a promo package uh, hyping up Serena Deeb's return. Yeah, and it was did. very good. Very good. Yeah, I'm excited to see her back. We, we, there were a few uh, promo things going on, especially for the matches later on. But but yeah, it was good to see that she's going to be returning soon. Right. Opening match, eight man tag, Claudio. Ryan Danielson, Mark Briscoe, and Daniel Garcia defeated Brody King, Jay White, Jay Lethal, and Roosh. This is the showcase of the people who were in the Continental Classic who didn't make it to the final. This took a while to get going, and I said it there. Uh, the, the ended up being about 18 minutes long. I right. feel like you should have cut about five minutes out of this thing. Because mm-hmm. it just... The thing about it is a battle royal or an eight-man tank is supposed to feel chaotic. And this took a long time to get to chaos. Right. I, I just, yeah. I thought it was... The ending was good. Match overall was good. Everybody in here can work. And, you know, Daniel Garcia getting the, the pinfall. There's story stuff that you can t- say with it. Mm-hmm. But I thought this was just kind of... Th- this... It took a while to get going, and it sort of affects how I feel about it overall, but I think it was a good match. Yeah, like you said, it it definitely took a while to get there, but I think they did find their pacing, and they did definitely figure out, like, every eight-man tag in AEW comes down to everyone finisher spamming or signature spamming, and and then somebody gets over. It was, like you said, good to see Daniel Garcia get the win because I think that he's a guy who for the last few months has kind of been floundering without the, the unit that was the Jericho appreciation society. So he's had good showings in the continental classic and uh, like a good showing on, uh, on, on, you know, the event, um, world's end. So like, certainly let's let, we'll, we'll see what the future holds for him. It looked like there was some tension between him and Danielson. So if we can get more matches out of those two guys, I think that's great too. Yeah. Uh, there's some weird heel stuff going on here too. D- Daddy Magic was on the commentary, and the heels kept like yelling at him. Like Brody King seriously called him out. I yes, don't, and then he he hit him at the end too. Yeah, there's there's just a it's weird stuff because like I know Daddy Magic's kind of a joke character, but he isn't still a wrestler. And it feels like he has zero credibility, which I guess if that's what they're going for, fine. But I don't know. It's a very weird position. Don't disagree with you. Miro defeated Andrade El Idolo. 
and a singles match that I thought was really good. Was a little slow going to start, but like really got there. I thought these two have solid chemistry. I thought the involvement of CJ on the outside was excellent. Um, it's as far as the match goes, I quite enjoyed it. I don't know where you're at with it. Um, look, like I'm a big fan of Miro as a character, but I think that there's a little bit of a disconnect once the bell rings, less so because you had a guy like Andrade in there. Um, however, I do think the booking is just kind of lazy with this storyline. Like, this is a guy who had a self imposed uh vacation, as they said on the broadcast. Uh, where at that point he had he had turned his back from God and he was going home to his flexible wife and then he made his return and he signed up with God again and then his flexible wife showed up and he wanted nothing to do with her he wanted her to stay home and not work and then you know she starts working with other talent she eventually links up with Andrade and then only to screw Andrade in this match. And then, I mean, they didn't really, there was no embrace of her and Miro, unless I missed that. No. Um, so, I so mean, that was like, the thing. The thing this match to me was really missing was the, the Randy Savage carrying Miss Elizabeth moment at the end. I wanted the reuniting. Right. And they're going to do that on TV, I guess. But like... Pay-per-views are where we come and pay real money to see things conclude. Right. Maybe that's where I'm at with this. This felt like a lot of non-conclusions. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. You're definitely not There's, wrong. There was so much to be continued on this show that maybe that's where I'm at. Anyway, regardless, I thought that the match itself was good. Uh, I thought, yeah, Andrade was great. If this is his swan song in the company, I thought it was a perfectly good match for him. Andrade, the story of Andrade in AEW is just a guy who had very good matches, but they never really got anything going with right. him. Right. The, the the run didn't light anyone's world on fire, but like it's it's it makes me nervous because like you got a guy like Andrade who his matches didn't really light the world on fire aside from a few with Rey Mysterio on the main roster in WWE either. So whether or not him going back is beneficial towards him is I guess up to him. Obviously wanting to be closer to your wife is something that I can imagine you would want to, especially in their circumstance of both being professional wrestlers. Um, but we'll see. Like, I honestly feel like Andrade is almost better suited in AEW because I feel like within a short period of time, with as many of these great matches as, been, as he's been having, it's a matter of time before they put the title on him, too. Yeah. I think there's there's something to be said for... And so the thing is, I really hope that in the coming weeks they get these this title situation sorted out. They get these shows sorted out. So that it feels more like a brand split. Right. I feel like that's the direction that this, this show needs to go. And this was, and yeah, this, we'll see what happens with Andrade. I think the, the rumor seems to be strongly that he's returning to WWE. I hope it's successful for him. He's one of those guys that like, he's still only 34. Like he's got a lot of wrestling ahead of him still. And he's still an excellent in the ring competitor. I, he is so NXT proved how you book Andrade. Right. You make him look cool. 
and you let him be like quiet charming and you give him a mouthpiece and honestly right now go in the ring. right now him returning to feud with santos escobar would be a great angle and a great wrestlemania program I, to have would also like to see if 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 he and Zelina Vega are down to work together. That that's that's that. what I mean. Like her, she's kind of feuding with Santos right now to begin with. So with Ray out, mm. I mean he he could be out six to eight weeks. I know that's the program you want to get to, but right now Andrade fit, kind of fits right in. Yeah, we'll move on. Timeless Tony Storm defended her AEW Women's World Championship, defeating Riho. I thought the match was good between these two. I think that there was a, uh, but, and I think Tony Storm is doing, you know, some excellent character work and stuff. I thought some of the, the transitions at the end were really, really slick with, with them moving towards uh, the finish of this match. The only thing I will say is the fans were not behind Rio at all. <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, and it's a problem that they're having in AEW, especially with Rio. I find that, like, the biggest problem I have with her is she comes and goes. She doesn't, she works short yeah. programs and then she's gone for a long period of time. You've not given the fans enough, even with her being the inaugural women's champion, to get behind with her. And when you put her in a position against Tony Storm, who's massively popular amongst wrestling fans liking both heels and baby faces you run into a, a situation where her work on both in ring and out of the ring has been so good that unless you have a viable person that the fans want to get behind you're going to run into this problem going forward and she's obviously the heel yeah but but like you said like yes. rio was 100%. full on not being supported by anyone there and what was What's interesting about it is like, and this is the frustrating thing with AEW. People say, oh, you know, Riho's off doing whatever. She hasn't worked in stardom since 2020. She's full-timed up uh, AEW as far as I'm aware. Right. Or like pretty close to full-time AEW. This is on AEW. They need to stop being stop-start with their wrestlers. And Rio in particular, every time she's here, and that's the thing about it, every time I've seen Rio wrestle in the past, there was never an issue of getting people behind her. This has not been an issue before. And it just goes to show the state of, of things where you have a popular character who is a heel, and that's fine, but like you have to do a better job of making people be invested in your baby face and having her just sort of show up. It's like, Oh, but she was the first champion. Like, yeah, I know that was five years ago. Yeah. Anyway, again, the match itself the match was, was okay. Yeah, match itself was perfectly good. Yeah. I, I just, uh, when it came to like the three women showings, it wasn't the top one for me. No. Swerve Strickland defeated Dustin Rhodes in a singles match originally scheduled for Keith Lee, who had to leave this hurt. I thought this was, we sort of talked about it during the show. I thought this was, for a person, for a fill-in match, I thought this was great. Yep. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I, I said it to you last uh, last night when we watched this. The time of recording is New Year's Eve. So um, when we were watching this, Kyle, I did say like Dustin Rhodes has only gotten better with age and mm. with. Uh, no, I, like I said, Dustin Rhodes has only gotten better with age. 
Swerve is white hot right now. Like once again, you have Dustin Rhodes in a position where he is the babyface. They had the, they started this match with the babyface angle where they snapped his ankle. He was being carted away, and he returned to the ring to fight off the bad guy who the crowd just ate up. Like, I mean, Swerve is an interesting case because uh, first of all, I think that it should be over the course of twenty twenty four. Swerve should turn face. Right, absolutely. But so it's an interesting case because I don't think people weren't behind Dustin Rhodes in this match. I just think they're also excited to see Swerve do well. That's fair. Uh, like people were excited for Dustin Rhodes' offense when he when he got some. He didn't get a lot in this match, but like that was the point. Right. This was this was a beating, but. The ma- it, with the amount of fire that Dustin Rhodes showed, it worked out better than I think a squash match necessarily would. That's, yeah, no, 100% agree. It is a shame, though. And it's a reminder, and I say this constantly, and WWE is a grave offender of this. It's like, well, we already made the t-shirts, so we can't change our plans. When something is hot, you have to go with it while it's happening. Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland should have had this blow-off match a year ago. Mm-hmm. And now Keith Lee is hurt, and you can't do the match. It's sad because now it's like, and the problem with AEW is the big problem they have is I've talked about this with Triple H before as well uh, in NXT is they're not willing to let a story go. They're not that if plans change or whatever it is, they're not with, or you know, if someone gets hurt or whatever it is, they cannot let a story go and they need to be better at letting a story go. Yeah, 100%. I think the the whole devil storyline was one that extended, I think, a little bit too far beyond its reach. Like we talked 100%. about it, we talked about it during All In, and we all kind of came to the conclusion that we weren't ready for MJF and Adam Cole to break up, but. The storyline that started, it it again, it could have been solved at the last month's pay-per-view. And and yeah. we got on to that next chapter. Right now, starting the new year with the next chapter is sure, whatever, but it's it's kind of drizzled into silliness, what which I don't think that they wanted in this big time mystery angle. And I think the problem is that if circumstances change, like Adam Cole got hurt. Well, Spoilers for later, but Adam Cole gets hurt. Actually, you know we can talk about this when we get there because I yeah. think I think it's worth uh, worth having a discussion after the match. Anyway, uh, Strickland and, and Rhodes, I thought it was a good match, and uh, more from Swerve next year. Yeah, absolutely. Now we have to talk about this train wreck. Eight man tag: Jericho, Sammy Guevara, Sting, and Darby Allen defeating. Ricky Starks, Big Bill, and what's left of the Callus family, Kanosuke Takeshton, Powerhouse Hobbs, what a pairing that is. Everything about this match was weird. Yep. Um, the, the putting it together, like, before we get to the Jericho of it all, which we are going to talk about, the putting together of this match was weird. The build to it was odd. Sammy Guevara returning to the side of Chris Jericho didn't make sense. Jericho and Sting and Allen and Guevara working together made zero sense. Mm-hmm. Starks and Big Bill are here because they were feuding with Jericho and Kenny Omega, which make and Kenny Omega is the through line that gets us to Don Callis. When people get hurt, let stories go. 
this match was when people get hurt, you have to let a story go. And this was, if you were going to do anything with this, and I guess they wanted to get Ricky Starks on the show and they wanted to, you know, it's clear they wanted stuff like that. I mean, they have tag championships, so you could have, you could have just as easily had Chris Jericho with a replacement partner. And it could have been Sammy Guevara. Yeah. And why we all of that could have played. We could have had Sting and Darby take those titles off two guys who aren't a tag team. And, and, you know, and yeah. And moreover, and moreover, if you want, I mean, I don't think, no, I don't know if they want to have Sting hold the tag team champion. Maybe they do. But if you had Jericho and Guevara face Big Bill and Ricky Starks for the tag championships, you could have had the Callis family get involved and mess up Guevara's chance. Like there was lots of ways to get to get through this, but they did. They chose a very weird one, and this match was not that exciting either. I they had two eight man tags, and neither of them were particularly fun. Right. One was better than the other. I think the first one was better, but neither were fun, which is the whole point of a eight man tag. So let's get into the Chris Jericho of this. Chris Jericho got booed out of the building, y'all. And so Jericho is dealing with two things right now. One, um, he has a controversy where he is yelling about um, NDAs, and he's trying. He's basically saying that he never signed one, so he sh- he can talk about whatever, uh, which seems to be not true. And like, an NDA is implied in your contract. You know, like, especially when you're still working there at 4 a.m. on Christmas morning. <clears throat> so that's a whole thing. So he's dealing with that. And there was there was some Twitter controversy that. So he got clowned for that. And then we had somebody uh, calling um, Chris Jericho out for and I say calling him out. It's fully justified. Uh, the circumstances with uh, I. The circumstances surrounding Kylie Ray, and I'm kind of hesitant to even bother, like include her name in this because, like, fuck, this is she shouldn't have to deal with this. No, especially in you know she's not in a situation where she has has come out and and made the accusations, which let's be real are true. And the reality of this situation is, God, with so many people in this company in in everything in wrestling. It is hard to compartmentalize bad people versus the rest the realities of wrestling. I feel like we sort we do it on this show just out of necessity when we're covering these pay-per-views. Like there's a lot of things I want to say about Darby Allen that I'm gonna leave alone. But like the reality is that when it bleeds over to the point where characters getting booed like chris jericho is who was like very much the face in this and like the face of this of this match right yeah it might be time for for him to take a little vacation no yeah i mean like i I feel like we wouldn't even be talking about this had she not replied in in the yeah but like that's it's it is what it is right exactly like it's it's the reality of the situation is she she replied with an emoji she hasn't said anything let and so that's the biggest thing for for me is like don't involve her in this 
no, no, definitely. Um, this there, there needs to be some some in-house cleaning that Tony Khan has to come to terms with. And is Chris Jericho really worth all the heat that this is, that's going to bring? Because he, he, you can dodge the question as much as you want in the press conferences, and he did, because that's Tony yeah. Khan and dealing with any sort of controversy. But <clears throat> how long are you going to dodge this before you have to deal with it? You put yourself as the company that wasn't going to be about this. Right. You said that. We didn't say that about you. You did that to yourself when you started this company. You're the one who went, said Hulk Hogan is banned from your company permanently because you don't want that kind of trouble. And he's also the, the one company. who's gone after Vince plenty of times on Twitter while yep. employing guys who have similar accusations. You have the same situation that you're dealing with. And this is true of every wrestling company. And I don't want to, I'm not going to single out AEW for this in this I will in this case. I will absolutely shame AEW because they tried to set themselves up as better than this. And they're not. That's the reality of it. With this regard, they're not better than this. And they have shown consistently a lack of caring about they are they they've shown the same foibles that they run into all that everybody runs into with regards to not booking women properly with regards to not booking minorities properly. They fall into the same trappings every other company does. And if you want to say that you're better, prove it. Right. Don't want to hear it anymore. Right. And like, yeah, you invest like the reality of this situation is the allegations that these are surrounding came out at the start of AEW. You want to call these unsubstantiated rumors? They were substanti- They could have been substantiated at the time that this happened five years ago. But you chose not to because you wanted to have Chris Jericho on your show. Whether you... And now the reality is you've had Chris Jericho for five years. You got the benefit of that, out of that, I guess. Now it's time to pay the piper. Tony Khan. And Tony Khan has proven himself to be incredibly permissive with people that he likes. Shocker, I know. That's every wrestling company. The same thing with Vince. There's no different in that regard. So if you want to say that you're better, prove it. Right. We're waiting. Anyway, I didn't want to get too much into that because it's still very, you know, there's still, it's a lot of rumor and speculation or what. There's a lot. It's a, it was a weird way that all this sort of came to the light again. And we knew about this at the time, but these these rumors were not quiet at the time. But a lot of people tried to quiet them at the time. I'm glad things are coming around and we're getting better about this stuff. But like, God, speaking out was, what, five years ago? Just about? A little under? Four right. years ago? Right. We have to be better about this. Just in general. This industry needs to be better. Which we can keep saying, but it's it doesn't change anything. Anyway. Back to trying to get back to the the enjoyment of of this show, as it was. Julia Hart and Abaddon, I thought they had a really good match. Oh yeah, big, <clears throat> big time feature for Abaddon. Yep, they looked great in the match. Uh, I, I I think the the imagery of that character is so spot on, and I'm happy to see that AEW is going to finally you know put some new people in these positions and it, it, you can only go one of two ways, right? Like either it works yeah. or it doesn't. I think Abaddon 
in even in, in the build looked great. Um, yeah. And like I said, and Julia Hart, again, somebody who I gifted my, my, uh, <clears throat> I guess, uh, what, 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 what are the, what's the phrase I'm looking for? I, most I gave improved? most improved, uh, wrestler of the year for female, just because like, she's done phenomenal work. And, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a, a big fan of this match. I thought this was, this was the women's match of the night. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Abaddon is great. I thought they did a fantastic job throughout this uh, this match. And it's so easy for characters like this to bleed into the silly territory, and I don't think either of these two did. No. They, um, they, they got the, the, this is creepy chance, which I think the crowd just... I think they ate up what this was, right? Like, as opposed yeah. to... We, we got uh, Abaddon doing the sit-up at one point, which was yeah. awesome. Like, Julie... They were biting Julia Hart, which is really, really. I mean, like that was apparently a, a mandatory inclusion in these this uh, house rules match. But one thing I will say about this that I wish was the case is it feels like Julia Hart is too removed from the House Black right now. I agree, one hundred percent. And I feel like there should have been like Malachi Black could very easily have been in involved in this match, right? Um, but. Regardless, uh, Julia Hart retained. Thought the match was very good and excited to see more. Hopefully, we do get to see more out of both of these two. We will for Julia Hart for sure, but as she retains the TBS championship, but for Abaddon, we need a more Abaddon. Um, Adam Copeland defeated Christian Cage in a no DQ match for the AEW TNT championship. This was my match of the night. Yeah, this match was was pretty fantastic. It's amazing because <clears throat> you and I have been critical of the use of people uh, who are older over some of the younger talent that AEW's had. But, I mean, how can you not give this match of the night? These guys killed each other for what was what, what was the uh, timeline in this? Uh, 25 minutes these guys went. And... Mm-hmm. They did everything. They they used everything but the kitchen sink, like fire tables, which this crowd was chanting for as soon as the tables came out. They wanted tables, and when they got tables, they weren't satisfied. They wanted fire, and they got that too. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, like I said, I think these are two guys who have known each other since they were kids and know how to work with one another. They had an amazing match in their both in their fifties. Yep, which is uh, so hard to believe, but both guys, uh, you know, went, went all out, crazy match, uh, and then the ending happened. So after the match, uh, Copeland wins. Killswitch comes in, absolutely batters Copeland. These two were bleeding; they had beaten uh, everything out of each other, and so Copeland was pretty cooked by the end of this match. Obviously, Killswitch comes in, beats him down, goes to catch in the contract. That it's very money in the bank esque, which I don't think we've really seen from AEW. Uh, goes to cash in his contract for a TNT Championship match, which the referee is like, "Yeah, I guess you're allowed to do that." I didn't, I didn't know that that was uh, the thing that could be whenever you wanted. It did, it did say anytime, anywhere cool. for the battle royale. Cool. Um, so that's good. And then Christian Cage comes up as Cool Kiss, which is about to catch his in, and tells him to. Give him the chance, the opportunity. Give him the this cash in opportunity, and kill switch. You clearly does not want to do it. 
Christian Cage whispers something into his ear, and Killswitch hands over the contract. Christian Cage um, covers Copeland and wins back the TNT Championship. Two times. Yeah. For every th- everyone who says that this potato, this uh, championship is hot potatoed, and I do get it, this is the kind of hot potato stuff I love. Right. Like Adam Copeland is a former TNT champion. That's great. And but the thing is, I don't think he needs the title. No. Right. I don't think Christian needs the title, but it is nice to have like that importance in this feud that you know eventually it's going to be for a championship yes um whether or not they are they continue doing this after uh the event we'll see um but i just uh yeah i think it was a cool moment to have adam copeland win it only to lose it right back to christian just a few minutes later yeah i thought it was a really great match oh yeah absolutely absolutely fans were so excited to see copeland win this and then uh, kill switch, uh, getting that title and Christian Cage taking it from only added to the fuel of the fire. And so Christian Cage gets to walk away with the championship. Nick Wayne goes through a fire flaming table in just a terrible bump. Yes. Went, yeah. The table did not break. No, he went right over that table. Um, but yeah, this was, this was great. This was uh violent and every, everything you kind of expected of a hardcore match in, in AEW. These two delivered. Right. Eddie Kingston won the championship final of the Continental Classic, defeating John Moxley to retain his Ring of Honor championship, his New Japan Strong Openweight Championship, and win the AEW Continental Championship. He is the Triple Crown Champion. Uh, for everyone who wants to talk about, and and I I am included in that. Um, all the people who don't get the opportunities that we believe they should in AEW, Eddie Kingston, man. I feel like Eddie Kingston went into the G1 this year knowing full well he wasn't going to win it, but Tony Khan watched his performance and went, we're going to give you a tournament that you're going to win. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it kind of telegraphed. It's like the ending was kind of telegraphed when he put the two other titles on the line. Yeah, sure. But I think there's a difference between something predictable that is just makes our eyes roll because it's predictable versus mm. something predictable that makes us happy because the right guy won in the end. There were so many different directions you could go in this tournament. I mean, people were clamoring for Swerve to have a great showing, which he did. Uh, Moxley and Danielson obviously are two big stars in that company, so they needed to look super strong. But you had yeah. even like, even had like Andrade looking great, great. Some of his prefer- uh, some of the performances, Roosh as well. Um, and with all that being said, like Eddie Kingston was the guy who should have won this tournament, and the match was tremendous between the two of them. He finally got that big moment, especially so close to home. Um, that the, the it was it was a hometown crowd for him for sure. Uh, and it ended with an embrace from John Moxley, who you know the, the the Blackpool Combat Club man. They can't decide whether they're heels or baby faces. Like Danielson was Danielson was on commentary and while he was cheering for Moxley was also putting over how tough Kingston was. I mean, they were the faces during the tag, the tag match. I think they are faces at this point, but they were, they were always sort of tweeners anyway. So I'll, I'll, I'll let it slide. Um, yeah, this was great. 
this was the best of this show. The moment of Kingston holding up the three championships for me was the best moment of the show. Okay. Okay. Now we get to the final match. MJF has lost his championship. Samoa Joe is the AEW world champion. Nobody thought it was going to happen. I, including that entire building. Yes. The building was completely stunned by this. And I'll, I'll top it out and say, I thought that the work that everyone did at the end of this match was fantastic. I then MJF going out in the, in the, in the hope spot like that he did were with the, uh, you know, the three hands, um, thing that you do when somebody's passed out that Samoa Joe, you know, had a great match throughout this look, look as dominant as he is. He always did. And MJF was wrestled uh, as he always does as well. Uh, Bryce Remsburg did a great job selling the fact that this was shocking. He couldn't believe it himself that MJF had lost when he called for the bell to be ring. He was just as stunned as everyone in the crowd, which is a really nice little touch. Yeah, and uh, like I mean, the muscle buster on the apron too yeah. that MJF took at one point in this match just whew, brutal. Both guys, I mean, it's Samoa Joe and MJF. We know they're going to have a great match. Um, it wasn't the match of the night for me, no. but it was certainly, I think, a, a, a you know a good caliber AEW World Title uh, Title match that with a you know a shocking ending. I think you asked me last night. If Samoa Joe is a transitional champion, I don't think so, man. Like I, I gotta say, I think it's almost for me, like given to, you know, the rest of the night to kind of think about this. It's almost for me better that this was a surprise Yeah, because sure you could have Swerve take it off of him. You could have Osprey take it off of him in the next few months, but MJF is a character right now that kind of people are humming and hawing about because they love the heel work. The babyface work has been great, but I mean, the title reign was long and the, this, this devil storyline and the stuff he did with bullet club gold the month prior, like it wasn't, it wasn't lighting anyone's world on fire. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm happy to see that some of the devil storyline had some conclusion, but it's almost more of a chapter ending and what's the next step. So we'll get into the post, which, and again, pay-per-views are supposed to conclude things. So well, I guess we, we didn't mention Adam Cole had come out to yeah. to be in the corner of MJ. And served his corner responsibility perfectly fine. It was a nice t- it was a nice setup as well. This was a nice touch that happened during the match. During the match, um Adam Cole was asked by MJF to get the diamond ring. Adam Cole searched for the diamond ring, initially couldn't find it, but did in fact pull it out. But that time searching gave Samoa Joe enough time where he wasn't able to, to hit him with it, which I think kept the surprise of what was coming later, which is surprise for us. Adam Cole is devil. And Adam Cole is joined by Roderick Strong. Um, I cannot remember the name of this group. The uh, the, kingdom. the kingdom, the kingdom, which is Mike Bennett and Matt Taven. Yes, and and Wardlow. And that's the squad, and that is MJF's nightmare for the next coming several months. Presumably, culminating in a match between them. I assume this is going to be like. 
match between them that Adam Cole wins at Revolution, and then this is going to be the direction for double or nothing for the the what anarchy. I, very well could be. The question, though, for me is, is Adam Cole, like, how far out is he from recovery? Because That's he didn't take the boot off. Nope. He didn't take the boot off. He, he, def- he definitely still sold the fact that he was injured. So, I mean, like, it was what it was. I'm happy it's wrapped up now. And, I mean, it's, again, it's another situation where was it the obvious choice? Yes. Does it make sense, though? Yes. Yeah. Like, it... it I would I would not want it to be a different, more impactful person if the story was just going to be convoluted and not actually make much sense. There were other directions you could have gone, but this was the this is the story they were telling. So eventually these guys were going to break up. I think the hope for AEW is that Alan Cole is ready by revolution. Revolution's March 3rd. So that's two months. The three months? Three. No. I don't know how many months. Yeah, two, two and a bit. Yeah. <clears throat> months for him to get healthy. Because you don't need him before Revolution. You don't need him to be in, sorry, you don't need him in matches before Revolution. No. But it would be hard to go through Revolution without that match. You would have to find something for MJF to do. Like, if I suspect what will happen is if MJF, if, um, if Adam Cole isn't going to be ready, MJF probably has to ch- challenge for the title again. Well, here the, the the report coming out right now is that MJF may be off TV for a while. Yes. I mean, he's got injuries Which, of his own. And honestly, like, yeah. all you need is Adam Cole coming out and cutting a promo saying he's not ready yet, but, you know, target the, the AEW World Championship and, you know, figure it out. And MJF makes his comeback at some point. Yeah. I think MJF can be ready closer to when, uh, and there's enough people in that group too, for MJF to have something to do up and leading up until Adam Cole being ready. Yeah, especially with Wardlow. Now, all this being said, though, Kyle, what are the what do you think the chances at this point of MJF not resigning? Because we are coming up on January fourth. Oh, I, do, I think for sure it's resigning. Okay, I think there's no chance that he's leaving. Okay, but, that's fair. I could be wrong, but I, I would be shocked if he leaves. See, I, I, I would have agreed with you had they kept the belt on him. I think the fact that they, the belt came off of him, and like, let's be honest, like he lost clean too. It wasn't like Adam Cole screwed him, really. He he couldn't find the ring, but I mean, like, in the grand scheme of things, like Joe went over clean. So so here's the here's the thing I will say about with AEW and WWE where they're at right now. First of all, MJF is worth. For for AEW, whatever you you're gonna pay him, he's worth it. Right. The big thing for me, if you're looking between AEW and WWE, if you, the people who I would say should consider moving, are the ones who are getting billed under where they deserve to be, like where you could go over to the other company and be like a pay per view level star, right? Or at least be a bigger, you know, be a bigger deal than what you are in the current company. Can MJF confidently say that if he goes to WWE, he's going to be a big deal? I think that that's the type of guy who has the confidence in himself that he would become yeah. a big deal at some point. But off the hop, no. Like, and and off the hop, yeah. what is the direction that they have for MJF going into this year's WrestleMania? We don't know. No idea. And and, and if it's just going to be a match with, you know, uh, 
an Austin or uh, sorry, um, Austin Theory, then is it really worth it to go over there and have a mania match with Austin Theory or continue to be a top guy in the other company? Yeah. And that's sort of the thing about it is that MJF could be a star anywhere, but he is a star now in AEW. And that, that I think is, I think it's significant for me. It's the same reason, like, would Seth Rollins be a huge deal in AEW? Absolutely. But why would he ever leave? Right. No, I agree with you 100%. Sort of in the same camp, I think. Also, so cool to see Samoa Joe have a world championship. Yes. Did not see it coming. Really happy for him. I'm not sure he's going to hold that title through the revolution. But we will see. I'm excited regardless. I like Samoa Joe on TV holding that belt is going to be great. Yeah. No, I the promos I can already imagine. And and again, like he's a guy who we wanted to get to the top of the mountain in WWE and didn't quite get there. But he's climbed. He spent time as Ring of Honor television champion. He tagged, he's done tag stuff. He's done, he's been a TNT champion. Like this guy's put in the work. And to see him win a world title in 2023, totally awesome. I'm very excited for Joe's run. Uh so that is it. We uh we got into the end of the pay-per-view. Have you any thought, final thoughts for the pay-per-view? Um I want to say that, like, I enjoy every AEW pay-per-view, but this might be the one that I enjoyed the least. Just there were matches that didn't quite make much sense or, you know, were rushed in at the end. Uh, I feel like there was a lot of time to build between full gear and this pay-per-view. And yeah, injuries changed decisions and whatever, but... I do think a lot of it was thrown together, and I think that that made some of the matches suffer. I think placement of matches is important, and Tony Khan is not not quite there when it comes to putting matches where they fully belong. Um, I, it's not I'm not down on the show. Like I think that we got some conclusions. I think that we got certainly a lot of great wrestling, but like. I mean, Revolution's a, few, a couple months away, and they've got some they got some work to do. So, I think this is the, in the year twenty twenty three. AEW faced the most criticism that they ever have, and it's all about how you respond to that in the between the bell and you know with all this other crap going on. So we'll see. Like I, I'm excited for twenty twenty four. The year five, uh, it was probably going to be a lot of fun. So here's the thing I will say about about where we're at with with AEW, um, that I, I agree with you. The big thing for this show that shocked me, there was no five player match. You have all these great like high paced workers, and they were there. Sammy Guevara worked today. Um, Swerve Strickland worked. Like they were present. El Idolo to a degree, but it was very grounded. We didn't have, we didn't have Lucha Bros. We didn't have the Young Bucks. We didn't have all the things that I think really the, a high energy match or two would have made a huge difference in a game this pay-per-view. And this, there was a lot of substance, but there wasn't a lot of energy. There wasn't a lot of pace. And I feel like with that many heavy, especially at the end, you go from with Julia Hart and Abaddon to Copeland and Cage to Kingston and Moxley to the main event. 
that's a lot of like heavy hitting matches in a row with nothing really to break it up. Right. And there just wasn't, you had two eight man tags on the show and neither of them had any real pace to them. No. Except for a couple minutes at the end for the first one. That was very odd. And I'm surprised that that's the direction they went in. We'll see what happens going forward, but in the future, and again, that's the type of wrestling I'm most interested in, so I'm a little bit biased in that, but I think it was really missing from the show. It's fair. It's totally fair. All right. I think that's going to get us to the end of this show. Uh, Rowland, do you have any closing thoughts that you want to get to before we, we leave? I uh, just want to say big thank you to uh, the guys over at Smackin' at Raw on their year-end edition of their podcast. They put us over huge in a few of their categories. So uh, always big thank you to those guys. Uh, anytime we can work together or, uh, you know, I hear stuff like that. Uh, it, 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 you know, makes me feel good about the relationships we've made in this business. 100%. And... Um, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, we'll we'll continue to we'll continue to um, be delivering this stuff. We'll continue to keep an eye on on things that are going on and, and try to involve more people. We've got we've got some wrestle questions to book ahead, and, and I'm excited to see who wants to be involved in that. Um, yeah, it's it. I'm looking forward to 2024 for for us. Absolutely. Uh, this month, you can expect a sports show. We're going to bring the Wallop Rewind back. Kyle, are you excited to visit TNA? I guess we'll we'll see. I'm. We'll, it'll be fun to talk about, even if the show isn't going to be that good. Yes, that's usually how it works with that Wallop Rewind show. The worse wrestling we have to review, the better the conversation is. Also, we've got. So this is the other thing we should mention. Uh, it hasn't come out yet. It will come out at some point this month. We will, we will push it once it does. We have a Royal Rumble pool yes. that we run every single year, and we when we post it out, you'll see it on our social medias. You see it at Wallet Media on Twitter. Um, when we post it, we would love for people to enter. We have we have enjoyed uh, having people enter in the past, and. Well, we're going to open this up and say we'll say this. We have our our plan booked for January for the pay per view that we are going to do for the rewind. I think let's say for the February rewind, whoever wins the Royal Rumble pool gets to pick the show that we are going to be watching in February. So long as it is accessible on the network or YouTube, you are free reign to pick a wrestling show that we are going to watch. Absolutely. And that's always fun. Uh, and also welcome to come on and, and review it with us. Yeah, absolutely. If, if you want to. But uh, anybody who is interested in entering in this contest, we will keep you posted on that. And yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Well, Kyle, I think you should send the fine people who listen to the, these podcasts home happy. Thank you very much to each and every one of you. We appreciate all of you who have listened to the end and you have been walloped. You have been listening to a Wallop Media podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Wallop Media. The hosts of our shows are Rylan, Kyle, and DK. You can find Rylan on Twitter at Rylan Wallop and Kyle on Twitter at Kyle Wallop. Production is by RJ Spearin. You can find his work at facebook.com slash spearkingco. Logo designs are by Maisie Mulder. You can find her work on her website, maisiemulderdesigns.com. Our podcasts are hosted by Acast. 
You can listen to them on the podcast catcher of your choice or on our website, shows.acast.com slash wallopmedia.